0: Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom and Dawn Lister of Anahata Yoga Centre, a yoga studio based in Leon Sea in the United Kingdom. Today we are joined by Ellen Lee, who is a yoga teacher and chair of the IYN. We are really excited to be talking to Ellen today, so thank you for joining us, Ellen. Welcome to From the Heart. Thank you. So let's just check in and see how we are all doing today. So it's been a bit of a week. I'm not going to lie. It has been all right. It's been a bit of a fortnight. It's not been an easy fortnight. Uh, I think we're all going through a bit of a challenging time at the minute with the way the world is, but um, it's snowing. I love the snow. I've, I've kind of practically moved into my she shed in the garden. I haven't even been going to the studio to teach up. I've been, um, clearing, clearing my toot to one side and teaching in here, uh, with my little hot water bottle handy and, uh, watching the birds in the bird feeder. And that's kind of been my, um, I have been soothing myself. I mean, really, I've just been like, I've literally been breathing into I'm here now, my feet are on the floor. Uh, I can see the birds on the tree and that's kind of Mm. been grounding me from like really, you know, some big emotional stuff that's going on. Uh, I don't know whether Mars is in retrograde or whatever. I don't even know what that means, but you know, there's something, there's something going on and I don't like it, Daniel. I just don't like it. How, how are you? How's your fortnight uh,
1: been? Yeah. As you know, Dawn, my, my, my week's been a little bit challenging as well. Um, I spent most of yesterday um, feeling a little bit low. So I just took the day and I turned my armchair around and I just watched the snow out the window. <laughs> And it was really soothing. And then I went for a walk, walked up and down the seafront and just kind of just enjoyed being outside. And then I think it got to about 4.30 and I finally switched the computer. And at that point, I felt ready to answer some emails. but <laughs> It took all day to just process what was going on. Yeah, it feels like it's, yeah, there's a lot, lot happening at the moment. And I think for me, it just feels really important to just keep, when you can, Giving yourself time to just process and just be with whatever's there. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a day of self care, none like that I've ever done before. But it doesn't normally snow, so <laughs> thought I'd make the most of it.
0: <laughs> so lovely, isn't it? There's, there's something just so it kind of like when I see the snow coming, I like even if I actually can get out, I just feel like oh, it's permission to just stop and and just be in the moment completely i i just love that i mean i think i think around me everybody's struggling a little bit right now i don't know anybody who's completely in a good space with you know the way the world is you know with covid and lockdowns and i think we're all coming to the point where we've reached the end of our resources and it's and it's really important to keep filling them back up isn't it so yesterday I did a lot of self-compassion practices. I did loads. I did a lot of meditation. I listened to quite a few talks. I made notes and I did, I actually, I wrote, I, I was doing a, one of Kristen Neff's self-compassion practices, which was was really beautiful. And I, and I kind of a poem came to me. So I, I wrote the poem up on social media and um, it, it's a bit sad, but it's actually, it, it's a, it, it is a sad poem. It's also about, you know, how we can use, Our sadness is a transformative tool to make us feel you know part of the bigger community and um and also to to ultimately be with ourselves as we are in a a compassionate way and um, i got so many messages (laughs) from people like and phone calls i had private messages like oh are you okay are you sad i'm really sorry can i help in any way and i was like oh god actually i'm i am okay i'm just a bit sad it it was really nice because I kind of did feel connected in that moment because I felt like, oh, you know, quite often I'm the one that's holding other people up, and uh, people were being very kind to me, even the kids yesterday, which can be rare, actually, but they were all quite sweet to me by the by the evening. Everybody was being very kind, so that so that was lovely. Ellen, how how are you? What's what's going on in your world?
2: Well, in my world, it is snowing, um, and I'm like you, Dawn. I I do love the snow. I love the snow when it first falls and I think the thing for me, there's a magic, for me there's a magic when snow falls and it's to do with the quietness. It seems to be the only weather condition that's quiet. You watch the snow falling and it's like, you know, you you could hear a pin dropping. Mm -hmm. Everything becomes very quiet. and it slows people down. It it certainly slows people down, you know. um, And although there are the logical worries about, you know, it closes roads and it closes vaccination centers and what have you. um, Nevertheless, it does have an impact on people. I mean, all weathers do. Um, So yeah, for me, snow is magical. Um, I'm probably a bit like everyone else at the moment, a bit like the two of you, you know, it's, for me, it's one day at a time. that's always been a part of my philosophy for many, many years anyway, but it's been more relevant um, during this experience, certainly that, that one day is enough. And I, I just simply acknowledge whatever comes up in each day, whether it's good, bad, right, wrong, ugly to look at, pretty to look at. I, I just acknowledge yeah. whatever comes up. And um, yeah, I've, I've been to some quite dark places you know processing and observing this and digesting and assimilating it um but again that's quite normal for me that's that's how i work with most things but um yeah i think just the unprecedented nature of this is is the biggest challenge we've not been here before mm. not that we know of or not that maybe we can remember mm. so today yeah today i'm okay
0: oh. We were speaking just before the podcast began about, you know, in yoga, we speak a lot about, you know, becoming comfortable with the impermanent nature of things. You know, it's a huge part of my practice, Mm -hmm. you know meditating on on change and and also meditation on death. It's a practice Mm -hmm. that, you know, I regularly, sounds morbid, but actually it's a really beautiful practice because Mm -hmm. it teaches us about the sweetness of life. And, um, but actually, oh gosh, we, you know, we really, although it feels on the one hand, like it's brown tog day, we're doing the same thing day in day out but we we, everything is also constantly changing our whole world has been thrown up in the air and we have no idea how it's going to look when everything eventually lands again and I think that's really tough for people
2: I think I think you know the people There are a lot of people who just want everything to go back to normal. And of course, we all do to a degree, but the normal was the problem. Things that were seen to be normal were actually creating problems. Mm. But I think the unknown is yet to come because one day this will come to an end. The virus will get weaker and weaker. It will settle um, into whatever it eventually becomes. Um, But it's it's then, it's after that what is yet to come um, that I think is, that's the uncertainty. That's the uncertainty Mm. because this has been a trauma Mm. um, and trauma leaves an imprint. It has an impact. Um, And you said earlier, Dawn, that, you know, most people, you know, are struggling. I worry more for the people who say they're not struggling. Mm. So when I, when I talk to my neighbor who says, Oh, I'm loving this, I'm loving not working. I'm loving having, I worry more for the people who are not struggling because I think this is a natural struggle. And I think mm-hmm. you only strengthen yourself by acknowledging that it is a struggle. Yeah. Yeah.
0: that And that's interesting. That's one of the self compassion practices mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that when we speak about, you know, recognizing as a first step, you're recognizing what's really going on. And I absolutely. think for some people, there's elements of, you know, for me, the first nine months of this i quite enjoyed the not having to find excuses for not socializing mm. because i'm quite anti-social i am quite antisocial. i do not like big groups of people i don't like going out very much i have to mm. really be in the mood mm. so suddenly i didn't have to come up with excuses and i could be my natural introvert self mm. but beneath that i was also aware of the, the the stuff that sat under the surface that i was very uncomfortable with mm. and i guess i was lucky to know that i needed to make the space to feel all that stuff and i think a lot of people just aren't and they're, they're blocking it they're yep. you know, being avoidant and it will eventually hit everyone in the face you you know and that and we need to have something in place to support ourselves when we are you know recovering from mm. traumatic and this is it as you say it's a deeply traumatic situation mm. D- deeply deeply traumatic and, and unlike anything we've known in our lifetime so there for we've got no reference points and no oh. safe space to kind of process from, do we?
2: Absolutely. Someone said to me the other day in in conversation with somebody, she said to me, "Do you think people will forget this?" And I said, "In reality, no. If you've really acknowledged this and the struggle and the challenge and how vulnerable at times it's made you feel, no, you won't forget it, but you will." like with a lot of things you you find a place to put it and you know every so often you bring it out and you look at it Mm. but I I suspect there will be lots of people who will think that you can forget it and they will just shove it in a corner somewhere and never look at it Mm. but again trauma trauma is something that we've all experienced in different ways Mm. and it's part of us and Although yoga says try to live today, you know, be present. Nevertheless, your past is an incredible part of you Mm. and should never be forgotten. It doesn't mean you have to sit and look at it every day, but things in your past need to be acknowledged and looked at every so often because they're part of you. And I think this, this will be part, it is part of us. It's what's happening to us now. Mm. So I think it is important to acknowledge it. Very important
0: yeah sorry Daniel looks like you want to say something
1: uh, there. Uh, sorry yeah I forgot <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just going to say it's really uh, what you've just touched upon there Ellen just it, it's really kind of sat with me in terms of this whole process in itself has brought up a lot of my past trauma which was unresolved at that at at the time when I started to process it (laughs) although you know I've been really lucky that I've decided to um find a therapist to help me deal with that trauma alongside my yoga practice and I think what I've what I've realized is through starting to kind of go back through that trauma again and just pick up on the pertinent stuff on the stuff that you know is quite close to the surface over time what it's allowed me to do is just feel more comfortable with thinking about it Mm. it doesn't take the painfulness away from it that painfulness has changed and evolved because i've got more of an understanding why it's painful now But fundamentally I can think about it and I can see both positive and negative sides to it. So I've built a new relationship with that trauma Mm -hmm. rather than it just feeling something that was very raw Mm -hmm. and very difficult to think about and know that if I do think about it, then I'm going to go into my spiraled reactions Mm -hmm. of, you know, coping. Mm -hmm. And I think given for anyone to kind of give themselves that space to process it it needs to be done in such a caring way with with support as well you know trying to trying to unpick this on your own Mm -hmm. is really really scary Mm. you know and I think I think that's maybe the underestimation of maybe where where a lot of people are Mm. is thinking oh it'll be all right I'll cope with this
2: absolutely Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, most people have experienced trauma in, in some shape or form. And obviously some traumas are bigger, deeper than others. But with support, there is that possibility to have the experience that you've had with your trauma. Um, and thank goodness there is that type of support for people. Mm, yoga yoga can be that type of support the right teacher the right approach with yoga can Mm. can be that support that's only ever been my experience with Mm. with yoga Mm. Um, and certainly what i offer in my teaching it it is it has that sort of leaning towards um i suppose being therapeutic
1: Mm. yeah because actually I, i suppose where where For me, where yoga wasn't supporting me at the time was because I actually, I was having feelings and emotions coming up and then I needed to talk about those feelings and emotions that I was having Mm. that would would be coming up through the yoga practice Mm. and I didn't have the properly qualified person to be able to do that at the time, or someone that could hold the space for me, mm-hmm. which is why then I went on and found out about yoga therapy, you know, because actually that it gives you that space to be able to have that, mm-hmm. that counseling element or talking relationship element of, of the yogic practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, is that something that you integrate into your practice?
2: Totally that, that that is that is my practice that is my teaching that that was my training. Um, I would certainly I know the way I teach does exactly what you've described. I, I kn- <laughs> I'm smiling because my my teacher used to nickname me the prodder <laughs> that the way I teach sort of gently and very respectfully prods people. Um, because for me, yoga, as we said earlier, when we talked earlier, um, before the recording, you know, my belief is that yoga is not taking us anywhere. For me, yoga is a return journey. So Mm -hmm. yoga, yoga will begin to unravel. So rather than the assumption that yoga is about tying yourself up in knots, yoga is more about unraveling those knots. But, of course, when you do that, there is space. We talk in yoga about, oh, stretching to create some space. But when you unravel something that's been tight within you for maybe many years, that leaves a space. And in that space, we know that energy fills a space. It does not like a void. There's an empty space and something will come along and fill it. And, of course, that will be your emotion. That will be your reaction. That will be your memory of potentially a trauma way back then but Mm. you can't just be left with that you can't then and I've been I've been over the years in sessions where a teacher has maybe used the language of unraveling but then has just said thank you bring yourself back now goodbye (laughs) and I think whoa hang on a minute because things have been stirred up here so um, you know, I teach a 90 minute class, but then I might stay behind after class for 40 minutes talking to someone. That's always been the nature of my, my teaching. Um, because you should never leave someone on that vulnerable edge. Of course, someone has to go away and do their bit. They have to be responsible for part of that processing. But you sort of were part of that stirring and that prodding and mm. I think you have to be there for that revealing moment it's been not, very... not that you're response not that you're responsible for healing it or making it better but you are part of that processing and I think as a teacher if you've done that stirring you have to yeah you have to step up and and be part of that person's unraveling yeah
1: I I, I agree yeah. with you um it's been really interesting actually, since the kind of movement over the last year from being in front of people physically to now being on Zoom, which is how I'm teaching and and Dawn's currently teaching. um, I've noticed people are actually more comfortable to maybe talk about their emotions
2: is that because they are in their own home i think With so the comfort of like we yeah. talked about a say you know comfort blanket they've got the comfort blanket of their own four walls absolutely
1: maybe. yeah i mm. i i think i think that's been for me has been a huge revelation in in people feeling more able to speak mm. Mm. um because you would Hope we don't make the assumption that home is a is a is a safe and comfortable space for people, mm-hmm. knowing that it isn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, the fact that in a way what's happened is yoga is kind of still able to be delivered through this medium mm-hmm. <laughs> now, yeah, but fundamentally they can stop it or switch it off at any time that they need to. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> They're in their surroundings. And actually there's no, there's no expectation. They just say something if they want to say something. But mm-hmm. sometimes you can feel you have to say something because you're in a group, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's really interesting just to see. I, I, I it's, Especially I, I run an LGBT yoga group. Yep. Um, specifically for LGBTQ plus people and I've noticed there has been the biggest revelation in terms of Mm. actually my community being at home and feeling very safe to talk about themselves at home and actually we've had some of the most enriching and supportive conversations I could ever imagine I would have with somebody from an LGBT perspective mm. online, whereas when everyone's in front of everyone, it's kind of like, oh, okay. Mm. Should we have a cup of tea? Then you know, yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah. 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 It's fascinating, isn't it? Just mm. just different people's psyches and different uh, different can. people's you know what they get from from yoga and how yes. it's delivered.
0: i i feel the same i feel um i was quite resisted to the whole zoom idea, and if I'm honest, I prefer to be teaching in person i like the i like to, i like to see the whites of the eyes <laughs> 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 i kind of um i like i i think you can tell a lot from people's body language and how they're moving and stuff but but that said, we are where we are, and we've had to use this option um for us to keep our business going um and it's been incredible. As you say, Ellen, you know, I'm a bit like you, I'll, I'll stay around after class and chat to people. And obviously probably partly because I'm also a therapist, people open up quite a lot. And I've had some incredible conversations with people afterwards. And, you know, the, the as Daniel was saying, the trauma and the, the wounds that are arising and coming to the surface because of lockdown life and all the challenges that's bringing is Offering a real opportunity for growth, I'm seeing a lot of people choosing to make different choices about their life, like walking away from situations that aren't suiting them, jobs that are making them unhappy, putting healthy boundaries in place, you know, starting to question their old habits that they maybe had in place to support themselves that maybe weren't very healthy. Mm. Um, and you know, I don't know who whose expression it is, but some there's somebody that says, you know, the wind is the place where the light can enter. Mm. And I kind of think if we allow it to be, this time that we're all living in can be an opportunity for deep growth and change. And as we know, as yoga practitioners, that yoga offers us this incredible vehicle through which, you know, deep self-knowing and self-nurturing can happen. Yeah. You you spoke you know a little bit about you know you your early training and becoming mm. um, a yoga teacher essentially a yoga therapist working mm. in, in that field. Can you can you speak a little bit more about about that and how that that work grew for you to become involved in the y- IYN and what the IYN is and mm-hmm. now, now that you're a chair, maybe just sort of like mm. tell us a little bit about that story.
2: Mm. Well, I first re-encountered yoga. I say re-encountered yoga because I for me yoga is it's our innate it's it's something that we already have know and feel but obviously we come into a life and we we start to go through that life and things get very forgotten and we we you know we sort of we forget we forget. So as I said earlier, for me, yoga has always been a return journey. So I I re-encountered yoga, if you like, when I was 19, which now, and I have no shame saying this is 45 years ago. So that gives away my age. (laughs) (laughs) And I had an auntie who was going to a yoga class. And I have such strong images of Peeping through the kitchen door, and my mum and my auntie would be in the kitchen. And my auntie would be telling my mum about yoga that week. And she would be showing my mum some of the yoga postures. And the one I remember most, and to this day, it is my absolute favorite yoga posture, is the tree. And they would be giggling and laughing. And my auntie would sort of be wobbling about when she was trying to do the tree posture. And I would be peeping through the kitchen door. Something obviously triggered something within me at that point, the memory of yoga started to return. And I then set off to try and find myself a yoga class to go to, which in those days wasn't easy because yoga, there were nowhere near as many yoga classes. There certainly weren't yoga studios. Yoga wasn't happening in leisure centers or gyms. It was a bit more underground in a way. Um, which I quite liked. Um, Eventually, I discovered um, that there was a yoga class running in a local school. So I dragged a friend along and we turned up at the school and we waited outside the door and eventually the teacher arrived and we said, oh, we're here for the yoga class. And she sort of went through the process of telling us that really we should have booked in and you know we should have paid up front and blah, blah, blah. But then she said, Oh, do you know what? Just come in. So we went in and I was just in love with it from the first moment. And it was a class of completely mixed talk about diverse. It was a completely diverse class, all people, all shapes and sizes, all ages. Um, different ethnic backgrounds and this is going back bearing in mind we're talking 1970 something um but for me it just felt quite normal I felt very at home because my home life was like that my home was very um diverse you know I lived in a an extended family um granddad and uncle lived with us they both had physical disabilities one had mental disability, Um, my parents at the time had, and again at the time this would have been very unusual, they had black friends, they had gay friends, I'm using the words that were used then, Um, to me that was just quite, that was life, and here it was in this yoga class, and there were people able to do yoga postures, there were people unable to do, but none of it mattered you were just there and you were all practicing yoga it was made very clear that we were all practicing yoga we were all experiencing yoga and the friend i had dragged along she never returned it wasn't for her but i went back week after week and eventually when i'd been there for a few months the yoga teacher took me to one side after the class and said you're going to be a yoga teacher one day and i said oh you know don't don't be daft i couldn't possibly do this I couldn't stand in front of people and and teach yoga to them. But she said, no, you will one day be a yoga teacher. And that's sort of where it started. So then jumping ahead, I went through um, episodes in life where I stepped back from yoga a little bit. I got married, I had two children. I was still connected to yoga, but I wasn't necessarily going regularly to classes. But when my girls became a certain age, I then started to return to weekly classes. And again, the teacher I came across and ended up with said to me, you should be a yoga teacher. Um, So I started to sort of consider this because I'd never known in life what it was that I wanted to do. Um, But the suggestion of being a yoga teacher sort of resonated somehow. So I ended up going to do my training at an organization called the Yoga for Health Foundation, which at the time um, I trained in 1992. So this was a residential yoga center in Bedfordshire who trained yoga teachers. Um, But their ethos was yoga was for everyone. There was no boundary that said, you know, you can't do yoga you can do yoga, yoga was for everyone. So I did all their trainings, which were general yoga and what was then called remedial yoga, which was working with people with a variety of disability and ability, um, various conditions, physical conditions like Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, um, arthritis, arthritic conditions, heart conditions, but basically again with this ethos of, well, everyone can experience yoga in some shape or form. Um, So when I finished my training, I then started to look for teaching and came across the teaching that was right for me. Um, So I ended up for 15 years teaching groups of people with those types of conditions. lots of chair yoga lots of wheelchair yoga um, ended up teaching in mental health um, taught in a, a mental health unit for about 25 years i finished that teaching last year um, but with the belief that it was just yoga it wasn't a special yoga for a particular disability it was just yoga yoga being taught to people I came across the IYN in its early stages when I wanted to offer teacher training. And I'd been teaching at that point for about 16 years, I think, and I wanted to go into training. I had some students who'd been with me for a long time, for that 16 years, who were wanting to become teachers. But I didn't quite know where to go. I I suspected I needed to present my course to someone, to a body or an organization for some sort of authenticity or verification. But I didn't quite know who that should be. And I initially presented myself to Yoga Alliance, USA Yoga Alliance. And I started to go through their process of submitting my course um, for them to look at but something in me said why am i having to go to an american organization to get a little teacher training course here in england off the ground and then a friend said to me oh there's this guy in um, wolverhampton peter yates who's trying to set up this organization called the iyn and they're very independent they're very diverse they look at all the different ways that yoga can be taught they have no one way of teaching they are acknowledging diversity in teaching and freedom in teaching so i contacted them i met their criteria that they were setting up at the time the course i had created met their criteria and that was how i initially became involved um I think after a few months, I started to attend meetings that the IYN had. I would go to their AGMs and started to get a bit more involved. And then the IYN decided to hold yoga festivals, and they wanted volunteers to help out. So I am one of those people that tends to put my hand up and say, oh, I'll help. (laughs) (laughs) And there's another voice in the back going, do you really want to help? Have you really got time? But no, the hand goes up and I say, yeah, I'll help out. So I helped out with the first yoga festival and then I became festival, I forget what the title was, festival coordinator or something. And I organized a couple more. So I gradually got more and more involved with the organization. Um, then I helped out at the yoga show. So I've got a bit more involved there And then suddenly one day Peter Yates, who was the chair at the time said to me, would you like to take over as the chair? And it was a bit like the yoga teacher saying to me all those years ago, you're going to be a yoga teacher. And me thinking, I can't be a yoga teacher. And then thinking, I can't be the chair of this organization. I can't possibly do that. Um, But for some reason, again, I said, yes. Um, I blame the menopause. On saying yes because <laughs> I was deeply entrenched in menopause at the time and was trying to say yes to everything I was trying to sort of be brave and um, not deny myself experiences so I said yes and that was how I ended up and am still to this day the chair of the IYN.
1: And Helen does the IYN still stand for now what it was when you joined it or has it evolved in terms of kind of the support that it offers and what it believes in in terms of its sort of intrinsic values?
2: I think it's still, I think we still believe in those same values, but they were very much based, they were very much of the time and of course most things, if I go back to that word circumstances that I was talking about about before, so the IYN evolved within the circumstances in that were happening in 2004 i think the first rumblings of the iyn um happened Um, the circumstances at the time then were that were such that various fitness bodies and government fitness organizations were trying to define yoga were trying to say what yoga was and is and should be and the, the initial IYN founders were very much like, well, hang on a minute, surely if anyone's going to say what yoga is and should be, it should be yogis themselves. Um, so at the time, <laughs> these bodies, these, these fitness bodies were saying, well, yoga is this, yoga is that. And unfortunately there was one yoga organization that was sort of going along with this and was saying, well, actually, yes, we agree, that's what yoga is. And that's what we offer through our organization. But then other organizations were saying, but you are not the only organization. And that was very much the IYN saying, well, yes, you can teach yoga that way, but you can also teach yoga that way. There is no one defined way. So your way of teaching yoga might be totally meditation your way of yoga might be totally the physical aspect of it your way of teaching might be the philosophical aspect of it um so that suggestion of freedom and diversity came along within the context of teaching yoga um and we still stick to that very much if you look at the schools that are registered with the iyn they are very diverse they are very um differing from each other but because the criteria of the iyn is based on the yoga principles the yamas and the niyamas there is a core there is a thread running through that diversity so yes we certainly stick to that i think the issue for the iyn now is obviously the pandemic has created this enormous change in the way yoga is being taught and may well continue to be taught. And the IYN, it's something that myself and my fellow directors have talked about, is that we may have to look at what the IYN does stand for or is still standing for or may need to stand for. We have also explored the idea that maybe the IYN was of its time, was of the moment, because again, that's what yoga teaches us. Was that of that moment then? Was that relevant then, but maybe not so much now? So we are constantly, again, as yoga suggests, we are constantly exploring, constantly exploring, because we have to. And there is a little bit of a, there is a little bit, I suppose, of stagnation um, within us. It's a bit like going back to the conversation about the people not acknowledging any struggle at this time. You know, we as the the directors, those of us who are the organisation, we've had our own struggles during this time, personal, professionally, whatever. Um, And that has generated, if I'm honest, that has generated a degree of, stagnation where shall we go what shall we do and I think that's quite right because I think some sometimes something has to stagnate a little bit your pond has to get dirty before you realize you've got to clean it out Mm. (laughs) you know if you've got a perfectly pristine pond you never have to clean it Mm. but if that pond develops stagnation and that scum on the surface that you have to skim off then it's telling you that something's got to change. So we are constantly looking at maybe what we need to do in terms of the organization, but it's certainly not easy at the moment. It's certainly not easy at the moment.
1: Would you say that also the way that yoga is currently being offered and taught is quite, is quite a challenge for everybody that works within our industry to kind of get their heads around that we was person-facing and now we're (laughs) (laughs) screen-facing how long that is going to last for we don't know And, and and the thing that I was sort of considering as well is is the media or medium sorry that yoga is being taught through whereby you know there is there's a lot of People offering yoga classes through certain social media platforms where they've got no idea who's even doing the class. Mm -hmm. There's no there's no relationship with the person at the other end. Mm -hmm. It's just a show and tell almost. So it's become like a, you know, a keep fit class. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But even that feels dangerous in itself because you'd hope the keep fit instructor could see what was going on in the room. Mm -hmm. So I suppose through these mediums of uh, Facebook and Instagram, where there is only a one-way stream of, you know, being able to see the teacher, but Mm -hmm. the teacher not being able to see them, Mm -hmm. that presents some real concerns and issues around the principles of yoga, Mm -hmm. but also around concerns of the clients or the clientele that we're teaching.
2: Yeah. I mean, if I'm honest, if I'm completely honest, the future of yoga concerns me greatly. Um, since I've been involved with the IYN, I've become extremely involved, obviously, with the yoga world, with the yoga community, particularly here in the UK. IYN is an international, you know, we have an international register, schools in most countries. Um, but basically, we are a UK organization and I said this in a talk I did at the um, the last yoga conference that I have seen so much that I've almost seen too much of the yoga world because it can bombard if it bombards me as the chair of a, a current organization how is it bombarding the average person maybe looking to begin yoga I I mentioned earlier that I had attended um, the yoga show for many years representing the IYM. We we had a stand there for seven, eight years running and although we knew we were sort of going to be up against it in terms of sitting there within this very commercial event as a sort of an organization that A, wasn't selling anything or be promoting anything you know we hadn't got a new product to promote we weren't even selling memberships we were just there as our title suggests an independent yoga network and i would have many picking up on your conversation about teacher training um i would have many conversations with people and um they they would say to me well you know I want to be a yoga teacher what's the quickest course I could do and could that quick course be in a really hot country (laughs) and could you tell me the best teacher to go to and I would often say to those people do you have a regular teacher that you go to currently no I tend to go to different teachers every week different classes because it's I call it the yogurt syndrome so you go to a supermarket And if you go to the yogurt section, how many different types of yogurt are there? So when you are looking for the yogurt that's labeled yoga, there's not going to just be one of them. There's going to be many of them. You know, yoga with bits in smooth yoga, organic yoga, Greek yoga. This is what yoga has become. Yoga has become a product like yoga. It's become a product and there are different versions of that product to buy to buy i mean you've probably seen since the pandemic on social media on facebook for example we are inundated with adverts for online yoga courses some of them are 30 pounds 30 pounds for an online yoga course i worry i worry deeply for the future of yoga because i i like Dawn, like you, I love teaching yoga in, in, my, in my school hall. I, I love teaching yoga face to face with everything that brings up. At the same time, I understand the need for people to be using this medium because people have had to be, are being resourceful. But I also know that there are many, many people, teachers and students saying they don't ever want to go back to live teaching. They're much happier with the Zoom. They want to stick with it. It's convenient. Now, that word itself, convenience, buys into the product scenario again. We have convenience stores. So I I worry deeply for the future of yoga. And that takes me back again to your question about the IYN evolving, changing, feeling it needs to or continuing to be what it is. I, I don't worry for the future of the IYN because we have an ethos within the organization, as I said, that understands that the IYN maybe has been or is of its time. I don't know, but I, I worry deeply. I worry deeply for the future of yoga and what may become of it or what it may become. I really hear you, Ellen, and I feel
0: I feel a little bit heart sore mm.
2: oh it ma- it makes my heart hurt Dawn. Yeah. and I think
0: we've had these conversations before <laughs> the past few years mm. kind of um and and, and it, I kind of I, I have this kind of weird sort of scenario that goes on in my head where I see myself as some kind of little Mr. Miyagi and you know doing my yoga off off on the corner and I maybe just meet one person a year. I'm offering an authentic practice because I can't buy into the commercialism of it. I just can't do it. I can't make myself do it. Um, and and then I just feel like, and then I think, oh, am I being a dinosaur? You know, am I am I being like just like because I'm getting older and maybe I don't want change? But then I just kind of feel like when it becomes about you know very linear about one part of the practice it becomes about how much you can make from it when it's highly over-marketed and as daniel was saying you know these teachers that are offering like, these vast classes of you know 50 100 200 thousand people yeah. doing you know something online without any you know backup or support or any feel, it feels like it feels almost like empty it feels empty to me mm-hmm. you know monkey see monkey do it's mm-hmm. like like what you know what's been everything's been lost you know the magic that yoga offers, which is transformative and supportive and loving and, you know, will help walk you through your life. Mm. That is lost when it becomes about standing, looking at a TV screen, which is disconnecting in itself. Mm. You can't deny that. You know, the minute you put a screen between you and somebody else is a disconnect. Mm. Technology disconnects you in many, many ways. You can't, you know, you, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I've even got the words. I just feel a bit like God, we've got to somehow try and hold on to the authentic nature
3: Mm.
0: for ourselves. And and I'm trying to do it by keeping my personal practice authentic and real and connected Mm. and, and and being aware of my own stuff that's coming up around the way it's changing how I don't like it, you know, being being honest about that Mm -hmm. and, and trying to process it. But I can't see anything good in it i just can't i can't see the good goods in this 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 change that's occurring daniel i can see
1: i've 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 noticed the two reflections that i've got actually one being that when i knew we were gonna have to go online for our business to carry on i i made a conscious decision and we discussed this as well dawn that the only way for me to be able to teach would be to teach things that are very simple and that felt safe for me to be able to project through a screen. So there's a lot of stuff that I don't teach at the moment because I need to be there with someone to be able to see what they're doing. It's different in a one-to-one perspective. From a yoga therapy perspective, I might be a little bit more open because I've got a constant stream and I can see what that person is doing but what I what I miss is the energetic connection with that person because you can tell how a practice is going for someone because you feed off their energy that they're giving out into a room whereas you can't get that through the the screen as well you can tell by body language from a certain perspective but is very difficult. However, that being said, I'm currently doing the most amazing meditation training with the Himalayan Institute in Pennsylvania. Um, And it's mind-blowing. But the reason that I think it's working so well is because the person that's teaching it is so ingrained in this particular style of meditation that it literally breeds from him, you know. <laughs> you know, so and you, and you're working not only online. You've got videos, you've got books, you've got reference points. There's chat groups that you can break out into. So I have seen a way that this does translate very well. But it's really interesting, kind of that that versus uh, you know uh, a Facebook free stream at lunchtime. <laughs>
0: I, I agree with you, Daniel, thinking about, I, I, as you know, I've been doing the pregnancy training, teacher training with Uma, Uma Dizbertuli, and it was, inc- it's been incredible online. And I think what we're both saying actually, though, is it's about the quality of the teacher. So if those teachers have had face-to-face um, embodied trainings for many, many years, and they have a huge amount of experience and they live and breathe the practice, so they can deliver that through a screen. If we're looking at a new breed of people coming, and this makes me sound a bit of a dinosaur, maybe very judgmental, and I own that right now. So I'm not saying I'm right. If we have got a new breed of teacher that are coming through, are doing an online training, or I don't know, a weekend or six six, six weekends or whatever for whatever amount of money it is, and they're not actually meeting anyone face to face, and they're not able to supervise in, in classes, teaching. and you know, they haven't got the same mentoring that's happening that, you know, for, you know, for you and I, we trained over like three or four years. You know, what, what is that going to look like 10 years down the line? You know, is it all going to be through poorly trained teachers who lack face-to-face connection, energetic connection? And it's all through screen. I mean, is that where the world's going? That's, that's terrifying.
2: I I think that is that's part of my worry is that is that where it's going Um, and I, I hear I hear from both sides you know I part of me if I've got my IYN chair hat on I sit in a neutral space and I hear both sides and I hear stories like how convenient it is teaching on zoom how it does work and is working but then i also hear the other side that worries me deeply where yoga teachers already and i mean we're not even we're not even a year yet it will be a year in march won't it you know from when we went into the very first lockdown but i'm hearing about yoga teachers already experiencing burnout mm-hmm. through zoom through online teaching Um, that concerns me. I mean, I, I have a, my youngest daughter is a a school teacher. She teaches in a a school for children with special needs. And a lot of her, she works in the therapy department and a lot of her sessions that she does are zoom sessions. She's experiencing burnout. You know, her eyes are hurting, Mm -hmm. you know, her, energy levels dip and i hear this time and time again and that concerns me greatly i hear scenarios whereby someone tells me they did a zoom session with a yoga teacher and it was like the yoga teacher was doing a performance switched switched you know everyone to mute and just literally did a performance that everyone was expected to follow and at the end said thank you and goodbye um so there are lots of different scenarios going on but i think i think something that may get overlooked is that okay teachers have had to become very resourceful in ways to continue to be able to share yoga a lot of teachers might be doing it because it satisfies their safety they feel safe doing classes online at the moment. I know when I returned for the first time in July to live teaching, having not taught for three or four months at that point, it felt quite scary going back to live teaching. You suddenly felt very vulnerable. The first time I went back to teach my two classes at the leisure centre. Again, that feeling of being, if I'm honest, a bit scared. And it was all very well controlled and, you know, it was all very well um, done in terms of cleaning and hygiene and what have you and less numbers passing through. But nevertheless, there was part of me that was quite vulnerable about going back to live teaching. So I think. And also, we don't know if this is a temporary thing or how long it's going to go on for. There's a lot of unknowns within it. And of course, it goes back to what we were saying about trauma. You know, people have got to deal with this. Yoga teachers have got to deal with this and how they navigate through it and finding the best way to, if they want to, still be able to share their teachings. If I think of my own students, my students have been with me for the 28 years I've been teaching. Um, And although I'm not offering Zoom classes, I strongly believe the teaching still goes on. Just because we are not meeting each other in a weekly class, the teaching, because in in those long standing students, yoga is now returned to its innate state. It's there. They don't need that weekly class they just roll their mat out or they find their yoga in their walking or their gardening or, or whatever
1: and isn't that the beauty of these yogic teachings is mm-hmm. it the the yoga in its essence is just a practice that is you're a conduit for while you're the teacher but fundamentally it continues to flow and it has done for thousands of years and will continue to as long as Absolutely. our our there's people still sharing these experiences is it will continue to be passed on mm. or to use your analogy to, to remind people that it's always been there, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, which I think yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my, my teacher, Lisa Kaylee Isley, when she's talking about mantras specifically, she always says, you know, these mantras are all within you. Mm -hmm. You just need to find the right time Mm -hmm. to start to hear them. And you know, with with
2: mantra, Daniel, you don't always need to know what it means. No, no. I went to um, a chanting group for many, many years, and we learned chants and mantras from all different cultures. And the two guys that used to run the group would often be asked by someone in the group, oh, what does that mean? And they would always say it would spoil it if you knew the meaning. You don't need to know what it means because actually your soul will know. Your soul will be reminded of the meaning. Absolutely. Um, And I, I think yoga does that for us. You know, of course, you can study yoga. You can study yoga intellectually. Of course you can. But at the end of the day, to know what yoga is, you have to feel yoga. And I believe you can feel that when you're going out for your, you know, permitted hour walk at the moment. I, I'm a passionate gardener. I feel yoga. My, my gardening is my greatest yoga. It is my greatest yoga and meditation. Um, but I think it's really important to look at the fact that we are in a place at the moment and we don't know whether it's temporary and we don't know how long it's going to go on for. These are, these are the most, if you meet people on your daily walks or you have phone conversations with people at the moment, that's what they want to know. When is it going to be over? When is it going to end? When we'll we be out of lockdown? Um, it's like having, I suppose, something that gives you a certainty but we haven't got that at the moment. We haven't got that. And I think yoga teachers, everyone, whatever your, your work is, um, having to be resourceful, having to be creative and resourceful in the ways that work for you. If my colleague Jim was here, so I have two fellow directors, Peter Yates and Jim Goffalea. Jim is our treasurer. And if Jim was here today, he would be saying the problem is when yoga becomes a business. Mm. And that is absolutely with no disrespect to either of you who run a yoga business. I have many friends who run yoga businesses. Um, But he says that that is the problem. It was when yoga became a career option, Mm. when people tried to bring yoga and business together. Mm. Um, again, I, I sit in a neutral position with that because I see all spokes of the wheel, all sides of the story. Um, but that would be his take on that. That would be his take on that. And, and you know what? I couldn't agree more. Mm. And, and, we've,
0: and we both fought long and hard, you know, about, about opening a studio film. And that was one of the many, one of the reasons. And um, uh, my original teacher always said, yoga should not be something you charge for. Mm. And he always and he used to get quite annoyed with any trying to teach. You'd go off and earn money from it. Mm. And he'd he say, you, you're gonna get, something is gonna get lost. And mm. he, he had um, a building firm, mm. on, uh, which uh, he, um, that was his main job. And he was, um, and then he talks. Mm. And, uh, and he, he charged a drop in price because no one came unless they paid mm. that was you know that's our culture and then the money went that he made from that teaching that class every week we'd go to a charity mm. and i always thought oh it's all right for you you live in there you know you've got money for your building firm and all the rest of it and i just love yoga and i want to teach it and that's the only thing i want to do i mean that's the only mm-hmm. thing i've ever done i've done anything mm-hmm. else really since i was 20
3: mm-hmm.
0: Um but the further along the path I got, the more I think he's bloody right. He's mm. absolutely spot on. Mm. The minute you have accounts to worry about and overheads, something, if you're not really on it and really holding yourself accountable, mm. I remember, and we say this, Daniel, don't we? We have to remind you why we're we doing this. Why are we doing this. It isn't about the numbers. The numbers have to come so we can keep our building. Mm. But its it's about... The community and it's about offering the practices yeah you know and Daniel and I work together in a really unique way I think because we're both therapists and we're offering something we feels very important and it feels mm. like working together is a really supportive thing to do that you know it's almost like we're two cogs in a wheel that fit together really nicely mm. but there are I, I don't disagree with that mm. what Jim would say I, I think mm. in another world. Maybe he's right, but on the other hand, it's like that dichotomy, it's like he's right, but on the other hand, I wanna offer it. And if I don't have a space and I don't create Mm. the right ethos, Mm. I can't offer it in the way I want to.
2: Absolutely, I mean, I I, I don't have a yoga studio, but I have rented a hall for 28 years that I have to pay rent on. Mm. And that's determined by numbers, how much I charge. And I've always tried to charge the least I can possibly do but it still has to be enough to meet the rent. And, you know, I've always juggled. I've juggled one class against another. So that class might only have five people this week, but that class had 25 people this week. Mm-hmm. So they balance, they, you know, it, it's all, it's always felt to me a bit like juggling. But, you know, I hear Dawn, what you're saying about your teacher. Um, I had a teacher many, many years ago, one of my tutors at the, um, at the Yoga Foundation said you should not be ashamed to charge for what you are doing. You are offering a very valuable service. And okay, maybe decades back people didn't have to charge for that, but decades back the world was different. Mm. The world is different now. So I do see both sides of that story. I can totally see both sides of that story. And I, you know, I I know people currently. In, in situations like yourselves, they're running studios and they're struggling because they're struggling to keep them open while they can't use them. And it's it, again, it goes back to what we were saying. It's it's hard. It's very hard. And, and the world is changing. And that kind of yep. takes a
0: circle, isn't it? It's like,
2: yeah, the world
0: is changing. And I, I'm very much I don't have an answer to this, but I'm very much in the position of am I just too stuck in how I want it to be? I'm not prepared to go where it's going or is where it's going just really not where it should be going I don't know and I don't need the answer I guess I don't need the answer
2: I think if I go back you know you asked me about my journey into the IYN and my journey through yoga if I go back to pre being involved with IYN I would say that was a more comfortable place for me to be because OK, you could say I was maybe blind to what was going on out there in the yoga world. I was unaware of what was happening commercially. But I was a lot happier <laughs> not knowing and yeah. just plodding along week in, week out, teaching my classes, running retreats, doing the teacher training. But then suddenly when I immersed myself into the politics of yoga, let's, let's put it in its reality. There are politics in most things in life, there are politics within yoga. Mm. Um, my God, what a shock. And the commercialism of it and how that has grown enormously. And, you know, it, it's, it's astounding, really. Um, when I think back to my early beginnings that you couldn't find a yoga class. I, I remember my, my gran worked in the local co-op. And one of the customers said to her one week, oh, there's a yoga class at that school. Oh, that's how I found the yoga class. I couldn't go online and trawl through websites. It just sort of, it arrived.
1: Yeah, that takes me to the memory back of my first yoga class. I think I was in the year 2000 and going with my mum to a church hall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it being being someone that I was like, and what are you going to teach me? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of being, being quite dismissive and quite almost like, you know, you're, you're, I, 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 I have nothing to relate with this person, but actually so much to learn from them, so much to learn from them. Ellen, I was really interested to ask you, what made you, what did you get out of yoga the first time that you did it? First time I did yoga
2: in that very first class. And and these are very profound memories for me and very clear imagery. I I work a lot with imagery. For me, images are very profound. Stories are very profound. Um, A sense of myself. Mm -hmm. So having grown up in a very loving and supporting and diverse family I knew from the word go and it was made clear to me via that family that I was the different one. So from a very early age, I knew I was different because I felt it and I was told it. It was reinforced by other Mm. people around me. But within that, which was amazing. um, But at the same time, I was often told you're to this, you're to that. And I would either be told you're too sensitive or you're too quiet. I would be told those two things regularly. So therefore, that made me feel I had to change. And of course, this is what happens to most people. Most children at some point in their lives are told that's not right. You're good enough. You should Mm -hmm. do this.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And they lose that connection to the innate. They lose that connection to the yoga because that's where i believe the yoga is in the innate yeah yeah when Uh, i when i did yoga for that first time i discovered within myself because the inner voice said or the higher voice said do you know what it's okay to be who you are and of course yoga is the journey back to the self mm -hmm. the journey from self through self back to self So that was what I got, that it was okay to be me with all my flaws, with all my imperfections, which I still have to this day, but it's okay. It's absolutely okay. And I remember going to the first weekend because they were residential weekends of the yoga teacher training at the Yoga Foundation. And the first, one of the first things they said to us was, if you don't know the answer to something, always say you don't know. And for me, that was part of, being myself I didn't have to know all the answers I could be quiet and say nothing and I could be sensitive and I could be very connected to my emotions which I am Um, so actually I didn't have to be different I wasn't too sensitive I wasn't too emotional I was just me and that's what that very first class gave me
1: that's such a beautiful way of describing that. I, I was just reflecting on the thing I always remember from all, all trainings that I've done in yoga is the answer is, well, it depends. <laughs> it depends on a million and one different things. <laughs> so no, I can't give you a definitive answer. I could just explain what I know. <laughs> and if I don't know enough, I can go back and learn and I'll share at some other point in the future isn't it beautiful to feel you don't have to have that pressure it of is needing but of course, to
2: know <laughs> yeah but of course that answer will not satisfy a lot of people which no. is why we know they don't come back to something like yoga because they don't want to be told you've got to do this for yourself or you've got to be curious or you've got to explore yourself or you've got to feel you've got to get in touch with your feelings yeah we know that there are many people who literally just want the pain to be taken away
3: mm-hmm.
2: i i was just reflecting on that
0: yesterday ellen mm-hmm. i was thinking you know i a big part a huge part of my practice is mindfulness and meditation and that's mass, mostly what i teach mm-hmm. and, um, it, it's not anywhere near all it's becoming so as popular as people going to yoga asana class mm-hmm. and and re- once they come along and they realize actually med- mindfulness isn't going to take my pain away it's just going to change my relationship with mm-hmm. pain takes a unique individual that is ready to walk through that yeah and if they will walk through it their their whole experience of this thing we call life changes and is enriched mm. but it's tough because mm. you're brought up in a society that's geared up to take you away from any discomfort of course
2: one of my one of my greatest influences while doing my remedial training was the very early work of Louise Hay. And I emphasised the early work of Louise Hay because it was nothing to do with her affirmations or her positive thinking. Mm. It was her earliest work that evolved from her own reflection from having had vaginal cancer. Mm. And why? Why did I have vaginal cancer? She talked herself through the process of coming to terms with why. She eventually understood why. Why? So I was greatly influenced by her early work, which looked at symptoms and causes and how causes could create symptoms. But when I started to work with that in my, in my teachings, as I do constantly, it's, it's part of my, my teaching, part of my classes, um, it's not comfortable for everyone to hear that you may have a part to play in this. Mm. You know, you may, because people often think, well, now you're starting to blame me or now you're starting to tell me I'm wrong. And actually, I would just like you to take it away for me or mm. tell me the technique to use. There must be a technique in yoga I can use to remove this pain. Well, of course, there is no technique. The technique, if it, if it has any place to play, is part of it. You know, you may find the techniques useful and helpful, but at some point you yourself have to step up and step back in and start to be part of your life again and realize that actually you are your biggest, you are your own physician. You are your biggest healer, you yourself, yeah. but it's not, it's not necessarily the world we live in um wh- one of my colleagues always used to say if your yoga classes are very small you are probably doing it right
0: mm. no you're not feeding to the masses no. I, w- I couldn't agree more <laughs> no no that's what that's the reason i walked away from teaching in gyms after years i was like oh my god why am i having to teach a class of 40 people this is mm. not right mm. i just don't want to do it i just mm. And I kind of then, I set up a really, really tiny studio and had classes of maximum six. Mm. And Daniel and I in our studio, we keep it quite, we we still keep it quite small. Mm. So I I couldn't agree more. Mm. We're going to have to wind up. We could talk for hours, couldn't we? We could. We could have part two. Well, maybe we should. We should. (laughs) It would be nice to maybe invite Jim and Peter along and have Mm. a a kind of group chat. That would be lovely. Mm. Um, we, can we just wind up with asking you what we ask everybody, which is what do you, and I think I'm going to know what this is, but let's see like, what do you do for your self-care?
2: My biggest my biggest self-care comes through my biggest passion, which is gardening. I knew I, you were going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> I, I, only, I only started gardening about 10, 12 years ago when my mum died. And it was like a, a moment, you know, I woke up one morning and I just thought, I've got to go out and dig. I've just got to go out and dig. I have no, no clue what I was digging. I just dug a big hole. Um, but that is my go-to place because that is my ultimate yoga. My ultimate yoga, my ultimate. It is the thing that does what it says on the tin. You know, it's a bit like a tin of Patanjali, you know, yoga is the quietening of the mind the settling of the thought process the 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 settling of those fluctuations Mm. of the mind because I I can do have a mind that fluctuates you know I I can fluctuate between past and future and forget the present but you cannot garden and not be present Mm. it's not possible Mm. so that's my go-to place and a good cup of tea I'm drinking lots of tea at the moment (laughs) (laughs) even more even more than I normally do a good cup of tea yeah
1: I was just just reflecting upon for me gardening is kind of like the representation of of life Mm. you know we Mm. prepare the ground we put things in the ground they grow we get fruit from them they die and then the cycle starts again (laughs) Mm. and you know Mm. I think this time of year especially this year, despite how bleak it may have felt, to see things sprouting in the ground feels quite exciting. It feels Definitely. like there's, a, there's new, new things happening. There's, there's things popping up from underground and life's moving on in some but way. A,
2: but again, Daniel, it's a return. You know, I look at plants having garden now for as long as I have to see the same plants returning, Yeah, coming back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful analogy, isn't it? Mm. (laughs) Well, Ellen, thank you so much for your beautiful words and your sharing and for what you've done for the yoga community. You know, it's really such an important thing that the IYN offer. And wherever it goes to, you know, it's made a real difference Mm. for those people that it has supported. So thank you for for what you've done and for being here today with Dawn and I. We've got a really amazing meditation mindfulness teacher coming up in a few weeks, Um, someone that that I know well and Dawn knows well called Karen Atkinson, who runs Mindfulness UK, who's going to be on the podcast in a few weeks' time and talking about all things mindfulness and her kind of campaign to really kind of bring mindfulness um, in a very kind of fair and structured way to the public so um Karen does some really amazing work and I know Dawn you're excited about chatting with her but um until next time we really do hope you've enjoyed the podcast if you would like to subscribe go onto the um Apple app and you can subscribe please do leave us a review and let us know anyone else that you would like us to share this podcast with as well So until next time, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Ellen for being here today. And thank you to Dawn for being here to be my co-host.
2: Thank you.